Good morning. Welcome to all of you in the sanctuary and joining us online today. It's good to be able to study the Word of God together. If you would like to use a Bible this morning, the ushers will be coming up the aisles to distribute them if you would like to use one this morning. As we continue to work our way through our Trust Issues series today on Veterans Day, no less, we're learning through the story of a man named Gideon what it looks like to be a mighty warrior of the Lord. And we're also celebrating 28 of our young men and women who are confirming their faith in Jesus Christ at our 1030 service today. And much like Gideon, these students are being called to step into trusting that God loves them, has saved them, calls them, and has plans to use their lives as signs of his grace. And that's a joyful thing, but it also takes courage. Because when God calls us into the adventure of following him, he calls us to live in a way that often our culture doesn't understand. And if you have your Quest Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to the book of Judges, chapter 6, found on page 343. So where we are in the timeline is after the 40 years of peace following the leadership of Deborah in the book of Judges, the people again turned away from God and are oppressed by a neighboring power, and their enemies kept them weak by destroying their ability to farm. So the people cried out to God, and an answer in Judges 6, an angel of the Lord appears to a young man named Gideon. And Gideon is threshing wheat, which is a pretty normal job, but he's doing it inside a wine press, which is not normal at all. What he's trying to do is to get his farm work done while hiding from the enemy. So all the chaff is blowing around inside, and he's choking on it, and he's hating the fact that he's been reduced to this. And he's angry, and he's bitter, and he's ashamed. And it's at this moment, the angel of the Lord shows up and says to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's reaction to that was basically, who are you looking for? Because I'm pretty sure it's not me. <laughs> and usually in the Bible, when someone meets an angel, their first reaction is fear, terror, actually. And maybe it's the cloud of chaff, or maybe it's just the feeling that this is clearly all a mistake, or the fact that Gideon is already bitter and ashamed. But his reaction to the angel is not to cower, but to fire off accusatory questions. He says, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. See, Gideon's reaction is pure doubt. He's basically calling the angel a liar, which is a bold move. Gideon straight up doubts both parts of this message from God, that the Lord is with him and that he himself is a mighty warrior. And it's very honest. I'd probably say this is the most common question that people bring to God. If you're with me, God, why this? See, Gideon's got trust issues. And until he can believe God for both of these things, Gideon's going to stay stuck. And Gideon's first trust issue, God, can I trust that you're really with me? This is a big one. Because Gideon has already convinced himself that if God was with him, he would be experiencing signs and wonders, and he's not. He's so convinced of that, he apparently misses the fact that being visited by an angel pretty much qualifies as a sign or wonder, right? <laughs> he's blinded by bitterness. What's going to get him to move out of this rut? Have you ever doubted that God is with you? What would it take to convince you that God is real and that he's really with you right now? 
What blinds your heart and keeps you from noticing what God is doing around you? I think this story of Gideon is so powerful for us because it shows us that our God understands doubt and he's not offended by our questions and also that his way of addressing it isn't to try to appease us but to challenge us, to dare us to move. See, the angel doesn't waste any time trying to answer Gideon's questions because the answers to what Gideon really wants to know are not in the past but in the future. Gideon's demanding from God, if you're with us, how come we haven't seen your strength save us? And in answer in Judges 6, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Suddenly, Gideon is wide awake. (laughs) He's moved right past bitterness and right into fear. Me? What? That's not what I meant. And this part of the story always reminds me of a mentor that I had when I was in high school. Joanne was the mother of one of my friends, and she was the best hostess. And after school, we'd always go and hang out at their house, and she'd not only feed us, but she would listen to us. But whenever one of us would complain about something at school, she'd never let us get more than a few words in before she'd stopped us and asked, so what are you going to do about it? She'd say, you have no right to complain if you are not willing to do what you can to make it better, because every situation is just people trying to do the best they can. So if you see a way it can be better, you step in and offer your help to make it better. You don't have the right to tear down what you won't help build up. That was Joanne. She was always such a pain. (laughs) Just kidding. She convicted me, and that made me a better person. But how often do we get stuck in complaining about things we don't like instead of seeing we might be called to be part of the solution? Daring to do the messy and hard work of wading in. Let me tell you, that takes a lot more courage. And in this story, God isn't going to let Gideon get away with armchair coaching. Instead, he says, you're right, Gideon, something needs to be done, and you are just the man for the job. And Gideon immediately backpedals, which by now in this series you might recognize as a common response for Bible heroes. (laughs) God invites Gideon to go in the strength you have, but Gideon's not sold about that. Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you. See, Gideon knows he's not ready for this. He knows he's going to need a lot of courage to step into this. So then Gideon asks for a sign. He says, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Have you ever had that prayer? Gideon goes and he prepares food for his guest, but when the visitor touches the food, it immediately goes up in flames and the guest disappears. And then Gideon freaks out, (laughs) because now he's obviously experienced something supernatural. And the first hurdle of Gideon's trust issue has been overcome with this sign. He has no doubt now that God is God and is with him. Which leads him then to want to address the second trust issue. God, can I trust you want to work in me? Gideon wonders, what does it mean that he's called to be a mighty warrior? What's he to do with that? And to his credit, Gideon knows that if this God thing is real, his life has got to reflect that. And he wants to respond to God. But his first attempt to live into that comes only from his own human understanding. He asks himself, what can I do myself that'll be kind of a warrior kind of act to honor God? 
And he remembers his village is full of idols that distract people from God. So in the middle of the night, he gets up and he destroys them all. Now, did God ask him to do that? No. And honestly, as the first act of a mighty warrior, that's a total fail. It comes off more as an act of vandalism than the act of a man of faith and integrity. Because he doesn't tell anybody what God had shown him. He doesn't explain why they should turn away from the idols. And really, this could have been the end of Gideon being seen as any kind of leader. But instead, I think in God's mercy, when the townspeople find out that it was Gideon who did this, instead of running him out of town for destruction of property, in the end they say, well, if those idols couldn't defend themselves, so be it. And despite that stumbling start, Gideon becomes known as a man who cares about God over anything else. So what does that tell us? When we try to follow God out of our own understanding, we won't always get it right. Sometimes you do some stumbling before you figure out how to walk. But in spite of that, God knows our hearts and he'll even use our stumbles to get us into motion. Have you ever tried to share your faith, to show somebody Jesus, and looking back on what you did, you thought, wow, I really made a mess out of that. Well, we see in Gideon's story that God knows we're a mess, but he meets us right where we are, and in his mercy, he can even use our stumbles to bless. If we dare take a stumbling step, kind of like a toddler, God will catch our hands and help us walk. So Gideon, by God's grace, stumbles his way forward. And none too soon, because the Midianites were poised to attack. But Gideon now knows that God is, and that God has called him to lead, but he's realized now that that didn't tell him what God wanted him to do. And Gideon is really new to this trusting God thing, and he knows that he needs guidance, so he asks God for another sign. Gideon says to God, if you really want to save Israel through me, please confirm that for me. I'm going to put this fleece out on the threshing floor. And if in the morning the fleece is wet and the ground is dry, then I'll know that you'll give me the victory. So he puts out the fleece and the next morning it is sopping wet and the ground is dry. So there it is. He got his sign. And you would think he would be happy, but he wasn't because he did what we always do. He immediately second-guessed it said to himself, well, fleece is naturally more absorbent than the ground. Maybe the floor just dried faster. Maybe that was just a coincidence. I'd better be sure. So take two. Okay, God, it's me, Gideon, again. Don't be mad. But could we try this again? And this time, could you make the fleece dry and the ground wet? And that right there shows us the problem of faith via the signs. Because no matter how much confirmation you get, eventually it still all has to come down to you deciding to trust. But God, in his compassion for this beginner, gives him the step he needs. And the next morning, the fleece was dry and the ground was wet. And Gideon believed. And I love this story because I see in it that God understands what we need. That Gideon needed these little baby steps to build trust so he could believe that God really was calling him. Have you ever wanted to ask God for a sign? To know that God is or what God wants you to do? If so, in the past, has that helped you trust or just given you more questions? I've often wrestled with this because when Jesus was being tempted by the devil, he very clearly said we are not to do things that test God, as if we were the ones calling the shots in this relationship and God should do what we say. And sometimes when people ask for signs, that's what they're doing. 
And yet in this story, God very tenderly answers each one of Gideon's requests and quickly to help Gideon move into what he's been called to do. So is it good to ask God for signs or not? Well, as is with true with many things in Scripture, the answer has to do with what's going on in your heart. In one of his most famous miracles, Jesus fed 5,000 people as a sign of God's power and love. And the next day, a group showed up demanding he perform another sign. Give us more bread and we'll believe in you. And Jesus said, um, no, I'm the bread, people. And they didn't get it. And they didn't get the bread either. Because signs are never about themselves. They're only to point us into deeper trust in God. And if instead they point to a feeling of our own power, that doesn't come from God. The enemy of our souls wants nothing more than to fool us into thinking that we call the shots because that leads us into spiritual death and disillusion and despair. But Gideon wasn't asking for signs out of a desire to manipulate God. He really needed to know what God wanted so he could lead well. And again, in this very stumbling way, he reached out to God and God gave him what he needed. And Gideon was looking for God's guidance before God's character was shown in Jesus Christ, before Jesus' resurrection, before the New Testament was written, before God sent his Holy Spirit. So for Gideon, there weren't that many options available. But for us as followers of Jesus Christ, God has given us the signs and wonders of his word and his example to show us what he wants to do in us and through us. And if we're looking how to discern how God wants to use our lives, we start there by looking to Jesus. What does Jesus tell us our lives are to be about and how we're to engage the world? What does his voice sound like? What do his actions look like? So that when we come to a specific thing that we need to know from God about our own lives, when we ask in prayer, Lord, show me what to do. If God chooses to communicate through what we see as a sign, we can always know it will line up with scripture because the Holy Spirit will never lead us in any way that's opposed to Jesus' word and example. Because the most powerful sign and wonder there is, is Jesus' revelation of God's heart to us. No other sign can trump Jesus. So if today you're asking for God's guidance, you can know that's how you can discern God's voice. Does it look like, does it sound like Jesus? Does it cause you to trust more in God being God, even when you don't understand the reasons why? You see, God isn't some kind of rule book. He's a living God in relationship with complex and weird creatures like us. And in his love for us, God does sometimes build our faith with signs. But after he's built us up to know he really is God and that he really calls us to be in relationship with him, once we get past feeding on spiritual milk, he calls us to live on the solid food of faith beyond the signs, to simply trust in the character of who he is and what he's done for you through the cross, whether we see it or not. And when we're in that place, signs can become simply his encouragement of us, not on what, what we rely on for our trust to survive. And yet, that's not where Gideon is. You've got to start from where you are. And I think God gives Gideon this encouragement of signs that he can see because things are about to get really weird, and Gideon is going to need all the faith he can get. With the confirmation that God will give them the victory, Gideon starts to build up an army. And he thinks he knows how to take it from here, 
But God's purpose isn't just to save his people from war. His purpose is to show the next generation who he is and draw people's hearts back to himself. And for that, they all have to know what Gideon knew, that God is God and that he is the one fighting for them. So the way that God is going to lead Gideon forward is not going to look like anything they've seen before. And in Judges 7, when Gideon calls together 32,000 men, God interrupts him and says, nope, too many. Tell the men anyone who doesn't want to fight can go home. So Gideon does that, and 22,000 men go home, leaving only 10,000. And Gideon starts to sweat. And God says, still too many. Bring those 10,000 down to the watering hole. And the ones that lap up water like dogs, keep them and send the rest home. And Gideon is left with an army of 300 tongue lappers. From 32,000 to 300, yikes. If there was ever a time to second guess, did I hear God right? Gideon is doing it right now. And how were Gideon's generals feeling about trusting Gideon? I mean, this is not how anyone prepares to face an enemy. This is the opposite of how things are rationally done. Gideon's got some trust issues now, despite all of the signs he's seen. Have you ever been in a place like that? where you thought you heard what God was asking of you, but then you looked around and said, yikes, God, really? This is where you want me? The third trust issue is, God, can I trust what you say when the world says the opposite? Because the truth is, when you're living obedient to God, when you're following Jesus' ways, someone is going to call you crazy or foolish. Will you trust God in the face of opposition? Well, Gideon does, but on the eve of this battle, I'm guessing he doesn't do much sleeping. But God, in his mercy, decides to give Gideon one last encouragement, since he's not sleeping anyway. God tells him to get up and go spy on the enemy camp. And that initially is not encouraging, because the army was massive. But Gideon arrives just in time to overhear one of the soldiers talking about a dream he had, where a roll of barley rolled down a hill and destroyed their camp. Strange dream. But the soldier had no doubt what it meant. He said, clearly God is giving the victory to the Israelites, not to us. And Gideon saw, not only was God telling Gideon he would give him the victory, God was telling the enemy that too. And encouraged, Gideon immediately went home. He gathered up his 300 tongue lappers and he armed them, not with weapons, but with trumpets, torches, and empty clay jars. Really. (laughs) And at the changing of the guard, about 2 a.m., they stood on the ridge surrounding the enemy camp. And at Gideon's signal, they sounded the trumpets and broke the jars that had been covering the light of the lit torches. And they shocked the enemy out of sleep with light and sound shocking for the Lord and for Gideon. And the enemy army in the dark panicked and started fighting each other until they were all on the run. And Gideon's army of 300 tongue lappers won the battle without any of them fighting at all. See, in God's plan, 300 were plenty. Who would have guessed that? So what can we learn from this? What does it take to be a mighty warrior of this God? It takes trust in him beyond what we can see. And it takes so much more courage to trust God to live in his way than to fight in the world's way because no one's going to understand, but it's so worth it. Just think about this. What if Gideon had decided he couldn't be hearing God right? He would just follow the logical course of action and have his 32,000 men fight the Midianites. 
Would they have won the battle? Maybe. But at a huge cost of human life, and the survivors would have trickled back, and they'd be no closer to God than before. That was an option. It would have made all kinds of worldly sense. But that's not how the story went, because Gideon dared to trust God for a better way, a way that initially made no sense at all that could only make sense if you truly believe God is God and his ways of fighting for us are often not like ours. And that, more than anything, is what we learn from the champion of our souls, Jesus Christ. Because when God sent his son Jesus to earth to be its mightiest warrior, Jesus fought not by battling the Roman oppressors or by taking down the corrupt pharisaical structure. Jesus fought the corruption of sin by going to its source. He fought hate with love. He fought death by dying, the opposite of how anyone in the world would ever think to fight. Nobody would ever make up Jesus' story because it's so opposite of the way the world thinks. But that's because his kingdom purpose wasn't just to win some earthly victory, but to give us an eternal one, to bring us back forever to the God who loves us. And in Jesus, our God shows us we are all called to be his mighty warriors in faith, but he alone is the one who fights and wins the battle over our sin and death. And our call is simply to stand and to shout, we are here for our God and for our warrior Jesus, and to let the torch of our faith and his victory shine into the world. So what does it take to be a mighty warrior of this God? To trust that he is? to trust that he wants to work in you and to trust that his ways are not like our ways. But knowing in Jesus that we can trust him beyond all the signs, he will be faithful to his promises now and forever. So go, mighty warrior, and the love of this saving God. Go in the strength that you have and trust him to let your life be a sign of his grace to the world, for he will be with you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be at work in us, that you would use our lives to shine your power. We pray that you would help us trust you, Jesus, that you are our victory as we stumblingly seek to follow you. Help our lives be a sign of your presence in this world as we trust above all things in your redeeming love at work for us and through us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.